All right, so um, we're looking at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. And um, I started off last week with uh, 2 John verses 7 through 8. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves, is what I titled this. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And I think this particular passage is a good one for what we're getting ready to look at in verses 6 through 10, even beyond that, uh, all the way up to verse of perhaps verse 5 and 6 of chapter 2. And it's the admonition of looking to yourselves, looking to yourselves. Uh, John being the man of God that he is, being the pastor at heart that he is, being a shepherd of God's people, He's confident of the salvation of those he's writing to, and so he's not so much concerned with that. His main concern is their fellowship with God and those things that threaten that fellowship. Those things that threaten uh, threaten that fellowship. Uh, John's concerned about the wolves who have infiltrated into the church with their lies and their deceptions. And these wolves have come in to um, disrupt uh, the truth, the fellowship of the believers. So it's not so much a loss of salvation that he's concerned about, but rather they're being seduced away from the truth that is in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, First John two twenty six. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Them that seduce you. Uh, so it's these seducers that he's concerned about, and so. If you remember last week, what was it that I spoke on? Anybody? I know a full seven days have gone by. Sincerity of the believer. That's what I spoke on. And I mentioned sincerity of the believer five or six different ways. Okay? Trying to get that point across. Because that is the challenge. That is the challenge. Yes, we have the seducers, we've got the the deceivers out there, we've got the false teachers out there that are deceiving us, uh, seeking to deceive us, seeking to uh, seduce us with their lies. But uh, who do you think is the biggest seducer that we have to deal with? It's us. Yeah. It's us. And more specifically, it's our sincerity in regards to God's word, God's truth, our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, um, our love for God. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, if we're not careful, that can slip. That can slip. And um, we can lose those things. We can lose those things. And we don't want to lose those things. We don't want to be content with um, a shallow pretense of fellowship like so many people are presented. We don't, we don't want a superficial, emotionally based worship, which seems to be so popular in so many churches. Uh, we also don't want a half-hearted commitment. Um, what we want is to have that full joy, that full fellowship with the Father. That's something that we, I'm going to use the word, that's something we should covet. That's something we should covet. And 
And I, I hammered on the point of sincerity because um, sometimes the hardest person to be honest with is ourselves. Sometimes that's the, honest, that's the hardest person to be honest with is with ourselves. And sometimes when we're faced with something about ourselves, we don't want to face up to it. And so this personal accountability to the light that God is, I think, is key in our understanding of what this fellowship is all about. You know, in the beginning, God created man to to fellowship with him, right? In the garden. But what happened? Sin got introduced into that relationship, and that relationship became disrupted, right? Right? Uh, man became alienated from God's fellowship. Now God sent his son Jesus Christ, paid the price for that sin, reconciled us back to God, and now that fellowship is now, is now available to us once again, even more so than the Davids and the Daniels and the Moseses, if you really stop and think about it. So we've got a we've got a great opportunity here, and we have to be careful not to squander that. And First um, John two six, which I think is the is the key verse for me in this epistle, is he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Of course, that's talking about Jesus Christ. And so, John, according to John's theology, our fellowship. Our being able to walk in agreement with God is to walk as Christ walked. That's a pretty high standard. Walk as Christ walked in truth and righteousness and love. So that's a pretty high standard. But he also said to us, my joy in this fellowship can be your joy as well. And that's a rough paraphrase, but we've already talked about that. So that's kind of a rough review of what we talked about. So now we're going to look at verse 6. It says, 1 John 1, 6. If we say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the very first blank on your study guide is we're going to look at a contrary walk. A contrary walk. That's what I have written right up there. Now I think we all can appreciate what the word contrary means, right? Who hasn't met a contrary person? Or who hasn't raised a contrary child? Right? Uh, a contrary person is usually somebody who's absolute opposite of a certain way, of a certain attitude, or a certain thought. You know, if you say, if you say this is black, they're gonna say this is white. They're just contrary. So one who is contrary is one who's going the opposite direction that God is going. Going the opposite direction. They're not walking in agreement with God. They're not walking in the light that God is. They have some issue. There's some doctrine that um, they're just contrary to. And this affects their fellowship with God. They're just contrary. They're contrary. And when you're contrary with God, guess who else you're going to be contrary with? Other people. Other people. Now, let me say this. You can be in, dis- in disagreement with somebody, but not necessarily contrary to that somebody. Okay, I've been in a lot of meetings, 
both both business meetings and and uh, church leadership meetings, and we talk about issues or things that need to be dealt with, and there's all you know there's different approaches, different opinions, different mindsets in regards to you know whatever issue that we're discussing, but generally what happens in these meetings is is that we come to a consensus. All right. We come into a we come into a consensus into a plan that um, we all can buy into. We, you know, we may not agree with everything, but at least we can agree to follow the plan or have a consensus. Um, but you always have that individual who will not join in with the consensus. And uh, they'll voice their disagreement, they'll harbor vengeful thoughts, they'll have bitter feelings towards people who don't think the way they do or don't agree with what they agree with. This person will deliberately behave and act in such a way to be disruptive or undermine the decision of the of the group. Um, they'll talk, you know, behind the scenes, they'll cause all this disruption this disruption they're being contrary and that causes uh, a divisiveness and the worst sort of contrary person is the hypocrite is the hypocrite and we talked about the hypocrite last last week uh, this is the one who plays nice to your face but once you know your back is turned what do they do yeah, they stick you. They'll whisper about you in the church hallways. You know, they'll get on the phone and burn. I used, they used to burn the phone lines. I guess you don't burn phone lines anymore. You know, that kind of stuff. A hypocrite is, um, hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's behavior does not conform. So on your study guide, in verse 6, the first issue that John addresses among the saints is a walk that professes to be in fellowship, yet denies being contrary to God's light. You know, they say this, he says here, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You know, and I think we're all guilty of that. We say one thing and then do just the opposite. Do just the opposite. Is this living the truth? No, it's living a lie. John's very clear about that. John's very clear about that. Remember, darkness can never mix with light. Truth can never uh, mix with Nix is not right the word. Uh, truth can never associate with, with a lie. You just can't have both. It's either this or that. John's very clear about that. You know, uh, most of us are intolerant about the hypocrisy in others. Right? But for some reason, we somehow justify our own hypocrisy. Like we're the exception to the rule. Like we're the exception to the rule. And sadly, 
you know, many of us, we play this game that we put forth this false face for others. But on the inside, it's different. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? How they clean the outside of the cup, but the inside? Yeah. Yeah. So on your study guide, we are insincere about what we say so sincerely. That's living a lie. Psalms 51.6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the inward, in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Uh, that's kind of an interesting little word there, the the word translated as inward, as in inward parts. Uh, The root word of this particular word uh, describes a plastering over something or covering over something. You remember the illustration I gave about the uh, unscrupulous merchant who would sell the pottery? And how they try to cover up the cracks in the pottery with slip or with wax, right? So that was kind of that covering. But um, this this here in Psalms 51.6, I love this. This is a little different application to this, of this covering or this plastering. Do you remember what Solomon did when he built the temple and he built the Holy of Holies where the ark and the mercy seat and the two cherubim were to be placed? Do you remember what he did with that particular room? Let me remind you, in 1 Kings 6, 19-20, in the oracle he prepared in the house with the inn, that's the Holy of Holies, that's where the ark went, that's where the high priest was only allowed to enter once a year, to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in height thereof, and he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar which was of cedar. So on the inside of this room, he plastered or covered the walls with gold. With gold. Now what does the Bible say of itself? What metal does it liken itself to as as in value? Gold. Silver, yes, but gold as well. Psalms 119, 127, he says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. So instead of the insincerity of, of the wax or the clay slip, what the Lord is looking for on the inside is his truth, his gold. His gold in in the holy of holies of our heart where the Holy Spirit dwells. So instead of this insincerity on the inside, we should strive to have this sincerity, this gold of God's word. Again, John's not talking about loss of salvation or, or proof of salvation. At no time in his epistle does John ever question these people's uh, salvation. And unfortunately, I've read commentaries that that's the tact that they've taken. That this is how you prove how somebody's saved. That's not even what John is addressing. It's not even what John is addressing. So on your study guide, 
What John is doing is exhorting the we concerning their fellowship with the Father. A fellowship, and here's your word, purchased and made possible by the great sacrifice of love made by the Son. You see, what Jesus did is of more value than all the gold on this planet. The salvation of your soul. 1 John 4, 9 says, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we're going to look at that word propitiation later on in chapter 2. So on your study guide, a lost man sins against God's law. A believer sins against God's love. So it's not an issue of legalism. Keeping rules. It's an issue of loyalty. Sincerity of love. You know, the subject of love is a major issue in this epistle. If you remember, I said that some 33 times the word love shows up in this epistle. Now, if something shows up 33 times, do you think that's pretty important? you think there's some significance there? So one could rightly say if one fails to love one's brother or one sister in Christ, then one cannot truly say they're in fellowship with the Father. 1 John 4, 20-21 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So if you claim, oh, I love God, I love God, but boy, I sure don't like so-and-so. That's a lie. You're lying. So on your study guide, in the light of this great love, what John is addressing is the sincerity of the heart that claims to be in fellowship with God, yet is walking contrary, is your blank, to the light that God has revealed concerning his nature, which is light, righteousness, and love. You cannot walk contrary to God's character, light, righteousness, and love, and claim to be in fellowship with God. Remember, unless two agree, they can't walk together. Light, 1 John 2.10, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Righteousness, 1 John 2.4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Love, 1 John 2, 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You see, with John, there is no gray area. It's either in the light or in the darkness. You're either in the truth or living a lie. If we live contrary to what God has revealed to us of himself and his word, and yet we claim to be in fellowship with God, then we are essentially living a lie. And sadly, I think many of us may even be possibly self-deceived. 
So again, it's not an issue of uh, salvation or proof of salvation. With the believer, that's that's an issue dealt with. What John is focusing on with the believer is the important issue of your walk with God, your fellowship with God. Instead of one working out your own salvation, as Paul says in Philippians 2.12, we stifle the work of that salvation in our life, which is that work of sanctification. You know, we may be justified by faith in Christ, Romans 5.1, but we may be slowing down or encumbering that work of sanctification of the Spirit that is the Father's will for our life. When we're not honest with ourselves, when we're confronted with God's light, that's how you stifle your growth. That's how you stifle your growth. So on your study guide... For a true son of God, one who is born again to walk in darkness is an indication of either ignorance or indifference or willful willful disobedience on the part of someone concerning divine things. Especially that concerning the character of Jesus Christ. You know, that's that's God's will is to be conformed into his image. Right? So, to continue on your study guide, it may be an issue of poor instruction from the pulpit, which is very possible. Or it may be ignorance of what it means to be in fellowship with God. So the word is, is ignorance. It may, you, you know, that, and ignorance, you know, I don't mean you're stupid, you're just uninformed. That's what that means. You're just simply uninformed. It may be an issue of discipleship. It may be a defiant attitude. That's another blank. It may be a defiant attitude. But what it may be predominantly is the word predominantly is the spirit of this Laodicean age. Something that we all have to grapple with. Something that we're all facing. Um... You know, what we often hear today from God's people, well, at least those that I'm familiar with, um, is that they're exercising their liberty in Christ, and how dare anyone question my uh, in the exercising of my liberty to, my right to live my life the way I believe I want it to, you know, I, I, want, it, I want to live. It's my life. I'll live it the way I choose. <coughs> I'll live it the way I want to live it. What's right for me? And we hear a lot of that. Even in churches. Um, We're really strong on our rights. Most American Christians believe in God as a higher power. They believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior. But that's generally where it stops. It's... It's that confession or profession of the mouth. Most Americans today, and I found this shocking, most Americans today do not truly believe uh, the Bible is their final authority. And the reason why they don't believe the Bible is their final authority, and this is the shocking part, is that they don't believe that they actually have God's word 
at their disposal. Now, where did they get that from? Scholarship. Christian scholarship is telling them that all the time. You don't really have God's word. We've got it pretty close, but we don't have God's word. We really don't know if we have all of God. That's what they're telling the people. That's what they're telling the people. And so what does that do? That undermines the authority, that undermines the faith of God's people in God's word. And then there's that seed sown in their minds. Well, if I don't, if I'm not really sure, then why should I obey? Now, they may not say that verbally, but that's the way they live it. That's why I think we have abortion and same-sex marriage, living together out of wedlock, easy divorce, that exists in the church, folks. That exists in the church. A lot of, this is another tact that uh, um, American Christianity, they believe that the Holy Spirit's moving in them and speaking to them as their authority. Okay, so it's the Spirit that moves me, or it's the Spirit that's talking to me, even when it's contrary to what the Bible says. Right? Well, bottom line, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm the final authority in what I do or what I, how I live. Because anybody can use it. Well, the Holy Spirit told me, Really? Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. And oftentimes that's nothing more than an excuse to be their own authority and to live lives contrary to what the Bible teaches. So on your study guide, if one desires to know the joy of the fellowship that John is speaking about, Ignorance may be excused in part, but is remedied by discipleship. That's your blank. Indifference, not having any interests, or it's not important to someone, is inexcusable. Is your blank and must be corrected. And willful disobedience by its very nature must be repented of. That's your blank, repented of. For this is nothing short of the flesh declaring its independence from following Jesus Christ. And that's exactly how a lot of American Christians live their lives. They give lip service, but in reality, they are living a life independent of Jesus Christ. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 4 says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Has anybody heard that passage? Has anybody heard that maybe in contemporary music? or Often under the guise of God's love, this attitude of independence from what saith the Lord in his word is the banner waved more often over the head of the modern church. 
In the name of love, we are told to tolerate all sorts of base conduct and open violations of God's truth. And ironically, when somebody stands up for God's truth and preaches and warns them of their sin and the consequences of their sin, then that person is speaking what? Hate speech. When in reality, that's love speech. Trying to warn them. Trying to warn them. I talked to a gal not too long ago. That was in a situation... Well, as long as they love one another... No. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And our lay do see and think, and many have already entered into the banqueting house. Here on earth, thinking that, you know, they can have their best life now. Under this banner of love. They've used, pay attention folks, they've used this banner of love to justify about everything. Just about everything. And when you do that, then you fall into what 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 16 warns about. About loving the world and pride of the, pride, uh, the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. That's where it ultimately leads to. And that's acceptable. Psalm 60 verse 4 says, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. I don't mean to rain on anybody's party, but the banner the church needs to be waving right now is not so much the banner of love, but the banner of truth. Because that's what people need in this Laodicean period when you have all these modern Gnostics out there saying this and that and deceiving people and seducing people. We need to wave the banner of truth even when it's unpopular. Even when it's unpopular. So on your study guide, if any of these conditions, as I mentioned in 1 John 2, 15 through 16, if any of these conditions or attitudes are present in one's mind and heart, they will be governed, is your blank, by these attitudes, and to claim to have fellowship with God while behaving and thinking contrary to the character of God is simply a lie. That's not my opinion. That's what John is saying here. We are in an age of the church of the divided heart. We are in the age of... We think our nation is divided. Well, the church is divided as well. When a born-again believer conforms to this world... This will cancel out the character of Christ in them and they will live contrary to their position in heaven. That's a pretty strong statement. But it's a true statement. John is very clear about this. One cannot walk with truth if one is walking a lie. You know, I uh, mentioned that Brian is teaching on comparative religions and he said something last Wednesday I thought was really very good. He preached that our love for God enriches the relationship and our fear of God protects the virtue of this relationship. That's a good statement, folks. 
Our love for God enriches the relationship and our fear of God protects the virtue of this relationship. You see, if you don't respect God and His Word, so goes your relationship. One cannot be abiding in the light and in darkness at the same time. One cannot claim to follow an almighty, all-powerful God if you declare your independence from His truth. Whoa, what happened to the all-powerful, almighty God? Well, He's not as powerful as me. Essentially, that's what you're saying. Now, you could list the whole litany of sins of the believers that walk contrary to God's character or contrary to his revealed will. But, um, you know, that's you could be here all day doing that. The bottom line, folks, what do you think the issue is? It's the heart. It's the sincerity of the heart. That's why that's why I opened this study. Uh, look to yourselves on sincerity of the believer. Be open. Be honest about yourself in the light of God's word. On your study guide, I use the fancy word ingenuous, right? The very opposite of being ingenuous is disingenuous. In other words, you're not being honest with yourself, and ergo, you are not being sincere towards God, and the two simply cannot coexist. That was the word I was looking for earlier, was coexist. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Remember, God desires truth in the inward parts. He's looking for His Word in you. In you. On your study guide, truth is God's word. This is the light that we must hide in our hearts. It is the light that we abide in in order for us to enjoy fellowship with the Father and His Son. If you're not enjoying fellowship with God, it could be you're not abiding in His word. Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I know that's a memory verse in one of our discipleship lessons. And we quote it and go on. On your study guide is the only true light that we have to keep us out of walking in darkness that permeates everything around us. Everything. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the only true light we have. You know, the Father has reconciled us to Himself. He's given to us His Spirit to help us, teach us, enable us, empower us, help us understand His Word. He's given everything we need. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Church. He's given us His Spirit. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Do you believe that? If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you better believe it, because it's true of you. 
And need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. His, uh, how am I going to say this? His spirit will testify to his truth. Okay? And if you're in his truth and you hear a lie, you're going to pick up on it. But unfortunately, today's church is not that discerning anymore. So, we um, are always subjected to the temptation to live contrary to God's light. And that's what John's addressing here in this epistle, is the pressures from the outside that seduce us away from that light, as well as (laughs) the pressures on the inside that seduce us from that light. When Paul speaks of this life being a Christian as a warfare, those are just not fancy words, folks. That's a reality. That's a reality. There is a constant pressure from our flesh. There is a constant pressure from the world. There is a constant pressure from the devil and his minions. Always appealing to our old nature's appetites, our old nature's aspirations, our prideful ad- attitudes. Always whispering, yea, hath God said, yea, hath God said. He's unrelenting. He's unrelenting. Sometimes we find ways to justify our sin. Sometimes we find the just reason to hate our brethren. Sometimes we say it's okay to walk contrary to God's light. And all the while we claim to be in fellowship with the Father. Declaring our independence up from God's truth and claiming to be in fellowship with God at the same time. That, according to John, according to the word God, does not compute. Danger, Will Robinson, that does not compute. Am I dating myself on that one? Yeah. Sometimes we uh, are tempted to justify our sin to preserve, preserve our public image, among others. Um, or preserve our egos. Uh, who in here likes to admit that they've been wrong? You do? Well, good for you. <laughs> I've seen this among um, leadership. They, Because they're in a high-profile position in church, they just cannot bring themselves to admit they're wrong. And they'll somehow justify their being wrong. Sometimes we'll rationalize sin... And justify our behavior, our attitudes. We'll give reasons why we shouldn't forgive somebody. We'll give reasons why we shouldn't be charitable towards somebody. Uh, you know, we'll sit there and we'll point out the faults of others and at the same time minimize our own faults. You know, sometimes the church is full of moat pickers. And yet, we run around with these huge two-by-fours in our own eyes. 
So on your study guide, when the saint begins to rationalize sin, it somehow salves the conscience, and even though we may remain in darkness, contrary to being in the light, we make ourselves comfortable in the darkness we have created for ourselves. What we often fail to understand is that by our not being sincere and honest with ourselves, we can run the risk of becoming insensitive to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God at work in our life. And that's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. That's quenching the Spirit or grieving the Spirit of God, and you don't want to be in that place. When we adopt this attitude of heart of uh, justifying or rationalizing away our sin and still claiming to be in fellowship, John very clearly says that you do not the truth. You do not the truth. So, can you kind of see where John is addressing the believer more so the unsaved? Because this is heavy stuff. So on your study guide, when the saint is in this state, it's more than a particular action or behavior. It's much deeper than this. For the true issue is the heart attitude behind the motive of the action and the behavior and the words. It's the heart attitude. That's what God looks upon. He looks upon the heart of, of a man. Yes, ma'am. Rationalize and comfortable action or behavior. Now it's this exhortation for then we have two blanks. To not be relegated to just when we get to church, church to church and we Oh, are we that far? I don't know. I missed that. It is what happens when I rewrite my lesson. You're absolutely right. What she means by that is every morning, every Sunday morning, I get up to review my lesson, and I do. I ended up rewriting it. I wrote in for the believer. This Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I've gotten that far. The behavior and attitudes. Okay. Well, I don't have that, so I don't know what you guys have. Apologize for that. It's probably a good point. I just don't know what it is right now. Well, you were just talking about, you know, John was talking to the believer. Mm-hmm. Maybe I missed something. That's very possible, Pam. I must have um, taken it out for some reason. 
Okay. Now where am I at? Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, so, yeah, so action, behavior, heart, attitude. So, you know, you know, the past this epistle off as a test, how to test somebody's salvation, I don't think is, is correct. Because the real issue that John is dealing with is, one, the seducers that are on the outside and the seducer who is on the inside, our own flesh. And really what John is focusing on more than anything is our fellowship. Fellowship in God in light, fellowship in God in righteousness, fellowship in God in love. Not only love for God, but love for one another. So hopefully, on your study guide, you have this. The behavior and attitudes, okay, are symptomatic of the true spiritual issue of the heart. The truth and inward part that we must personally address. Because it's the heart that produces the actions and the attitudes. Mark 7.20 says, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. Matthew 12.35 says, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So John is very, very clear about this point. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, the issue is this. Are we willing to recognize that in ourselves and say, yep, he's right. I need to fix that. That's the issue. That's the issue. He says, and do not the truth. The word do, in the phrase do not the truth, the word do means to practice, to do something, right? To do something. So, if you're in fellowship with God, then you are going to practice walking in His light. If you're not in fellowship with God, what are you practicing? Walking in darkness. It's walking in darkness. So it's something we do. When we are insincere in our walk, we do the opposite of the truth and we do not the truth. Right? So when we're in the hallways of the church whispering and gossiping about our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, are we walking in the light? Or are we doing darkness? We are doing something, but the something we are doing is not pleasing to God. And the doing of the something is not pleasing to God. That something is a lie. And not the truth, therefore, this something will disrupt one's fellowship with God. Now, isn't that something? That's a mouthful. But it's true. It's true. And that's something that we have to recognize in ourselves. And sometimes it's not fun. So on your study guide, and hopefully this is on your study guide, got me kind of shell-shocked now. God's word, in order to produce fruit, is that there? The fruit of a life experiencing the joy of walking and being in fellowship with the Holy God must be one that practices the truth, does the truth. And this practice of truth must first be established in your heart. 
That's where you need to get this issue settled. That's the Daniel purpose in his own heart. It is this truth and the inward part that God is looking for. That's what he's looking for. David was a man after God's own heart, but was David a perfect man? Did he do, did, did he do perfectly all his life? No, he did not. No, he did not. But when he was confronted, what did he do? Did he justify what he did? No, he did not. He confessed it, repent of it, humbled himself before God. That's a man after God's own heart. Those who desire to know and enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son, you have to practice truth, and it has to begin in the heart. That's where it starts. Psalms 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law! Is my meditation all the day. I mentioned David about being a man after God's own heart. It was David's love for God's word that God loved about David. When God looked into David's heart, he didn't see the wax and the clay slip. He saw his word. God's word to David wasn't a hobby. Like it is with some folks. It wasn't some form of intellectual stimulus. A textbook to dissect and split and categorize. It wasn't a curiosity. We see a lot of that in Christianity today. It's it's treated like a curiosity. They like to talk about the signs of the times, but there's very little sign of God's Word active in their life. When you truly find, when you truly love something, you find yourself thinking about that thing you love, don't you? That's meditation. Thinking about God's Word. Psalms 119, 113 says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Vain thoughts are divisive thoughts. Again, Pastor Brian last Wednesday, he was teaching about heresy, and he taught that heresy is divisive. It, co- it causes division among believers. Vain thoughts could also apply to hateful thoughts about others, thoughts that disrupt relationships in the body, uncharitable thoughts that are contrary to God's exhortation to love one another and forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Any thought that divides fellowship between you and God is a vain thought. Any thought that threatens our love for God, His Word, His people should not be tolerated. It is a vain thought. If you want to be intolerant or if you want to be guilty of being intolerant about anything, be intolerant of vain thoughts, especially the vain thoughts that you possess. Psalms 119.163 says, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. And that's what John is talking about here. He's talking about a lie. Somebody who claims to be in fellowship with God, but while walking, you're living a lie. Don't do that. Hate that. Hate that about yourself. Hate that about yourself. I mean, we hate it when someone lies to us about something that's important. Why shouldn't we hate lying to ourselves? 
Isn't that important too? When we lie to ourselves about our relationship with God, shouldn't that be important too? I don't know about you guys, but my studying this epistle is just beating me up. Because it's forcing me to be honest about some things. What we love will determine what we hate. And if we truly and sincerely love God's word, then you're, you're going to hate lies. Especially the lies that are true of yourself. Psalms 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Anybody in here ever been offended? It happens. It does. It happens. Has anybody in here ever offended anybody? That happens too. But what liberty comes from loving God's word? The liberty of peace and the liberty of being a freedom from offense. When you're walking in the light as he is in the light, and when your love is focused on God's word, God's peace will rule in your hearts instead of that offense. Instead of that offense. Now, does this mean you won't feel the hurt of someone's cruel words? No. Does this mean that uh, you won't feel the the hurt of somebody's uncharitable behavior towards you? No, because we're human beings. We're human beings. I mean, even the Apostle Paul felt the sting of, of such treatment. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And I don't know about you, but I think the Apostle Paul was quite, quite the man. That, that would be somebody worthy of your company. Hanging out with him would have been neat and challenging. But that's the kind of company you want. But if you set your affection upon God's truth and you're assured of his acceptance of you, then you don't have to go on this crusade to right the wrong. Or behave like some martyr and wallow in self-pity. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Or you don't have to be in a constant state of righteous indignation. But you can come through it victorious. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Even when your brothers and sisters in Christ <laughs> behave worldly. So on your study guide, so often we direct our attention on those lies and vain thoughts of others, but if we desire to know the fellowship that John speaks about, then we need to examine our own selves, our own vain thoughts, those lies we convince ourselves about. And then here, the last thing on your worksheet, hopefully... We must first become weary of the lip service of our own insincerity. Before we can truly know the joy of fellowship with the Father of light and His Son who is the light of the world. So you see why sincerity of the believer is is key. It's key. We have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be honest before God. We have to be. If we live the Christian life in insincerity, 
Oh, we may make a lot of noise, but we will never grow spiritually. We will never grow up. We will never grow up. Our light can only shine as we learn to abide in the light that God is. And as far as that section in your study guide, I apologize for that. I must have deleted it. So, any questions or comments before we close?